0: Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Stanley K. Ridgely, PhD, a clinical full professor of management at Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business a former military intelligence officer and author of the new book, Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities, and Stan Ridgely, welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks, it's a pleasure to be here and chat with your audience about these uh, issues that I think are very important.
0: I wanna start here because I'm always curious, this is a very provocative book in a good way, but have you had any professional pushback or professional threats against you as a result of publishing a book like this?
1: Well, uh, when you say professional pushback, I'm assuming you mean uh, officials, folks in the university administration, that kind of thing. Colleagues. No, I've had some. Well, no, not really. Not really colleagues. Um, There are a lot of liberals on the college campuses, as we all know, and and most of my colleagues are liberal, and they're usually good people, smart people. The radicals that I talk about uh, in my book, they don't show at my doorstep, if that's what you mean. I have had people stalking me on my LinkedIn profile. Um, the folks that I'm talking about stalking repeated views are from uh, the usually the DEI offices and not just from my own, uh, own university, but from around the country, which I have found quite interesting.
0: Well, it is interesting, and I guess you're getting their attention, which is a very good thing. I'll also go to the origins of American universities because they've gotten so far away from their godly origins and their purpose. Mm -hmm. And and it's almost unrecognizable now. Would you give us just a little thumbnail sketch of how things used to be and what's transpired?
1: Things used to When I say things used to be, I'm talking about the last 300 years. I'm talking about the, uh, the, the advent of the Enlightenment University, the idea of expunging superstition and magic thinking and sorcery from the university and adopting a scientific perspective idea. The idea of the scientific method as a mode of inquiry that can generate legitimate knowledge. The idea of logic, reason, progress, and scientific method. The idea of the university as a, a kind of a repository of the best that has been thought and said, and in transmitting that to subsequent generations who then will proceed to contribute their legitimate knowledge to that body of knowledge. It's a repository of an arena of ideas that, you know, ideas can come and be assessed and can contend for adoption or belief and be either accepted or rejected and be shown the exit. That has been changing now in certainly in the last several decades, to the idea of the university as a a crucible of indoctrination with regard to the Marxist struggles of the future. That's a quote I got from uh, Frederick Jameson, who was at Duke University. He's a Marxist theorist, and he was at Duke when I was at Duke as a graduate student. And he believes the university, the purpose of the university is for the creation or training of cadres for the struggles of the future, uh, Marxist struggles of the future. That's kind of a a different, uh, a real different take on the university. And I think this is what is becoming ascendant. And it's uh, it's a danger. And I think more people need to recognize that this is indeed happening.
0: Our show originates from Charlottesville, Virginia, the home of the University of Virginia, as they used to call it, Mr. Jefferson's University. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of talk amongst a group called the Jefferson Council who's trying to restore the university to some semblance of what it was, that there used to be a tolerance uh, for liberal versus conservative ideas on campus and that people could actually have conversations without devolving into uh, personal attacks or worse. Was there ever really tolerance in the United States system of universities and colleges or were we just imagining it? Were we just being sold a lie?
1: Well, I certainly think that you have to understand that universities are, um, uh, with regard to the faculty, there's a very smart people in the university, divided into the various academic disciplines, you know, physics and history and poli sci and chemistry and that sort of thing, and there's always been a kind of visceral a tolerance, if you will, with the civic the idea of civic discourse and the idea that you can disagree with people politely and agree to disagree. With regard to whether that's actual or it's it's only. Um, it's, superficial. It's a matter of opinion. I, I can't speak to the universities around the country, you know, in, in a general way, that way. All I can speak to is the the kind of uh, experience that I've had in, in three universities, one as a graduate student and two teaching. And the idea that, uh, you know, within the arena in which you are recognized as an academic expert, there is quite a bit of freedom, I think, depending on the, the discipline of, uh, I should say, with regard to sociology, with regard to political science, I think that you'll find that arena or freedom is severely restricted to a certain viewpoint, especially today. And that viewpoint, of course, is one of, well, on the radical left, but if you want to give it a label, it would be a critical theory, which is neo-Marxist theory, which has really seen a, uh, an ascendance in the universities for... For the last say 20-25 years, and in the sense that when you see the word critical in front of a particular discipline or sub-discipline, such as critical management studies, and that is indeed a field, it's it, it's really examining or propounding the idea that this neo-Marxist school of thought ought to be informing management. You know, critical chemistry studies, a cr- critical. If you, if you couple the words Critical, and then the word studies—you know—you're dealing, in my opinion, with an academic fraud. Science studies is an example of one of these these frauds. There's not a not a real scientist that I can identify that's actually in something called science studies, which is dedicated to the proposition that we undermine the idea of science as being the generator of uh, really what we call legitimate knowledge. There's an awful lot of envy in uh, much of the university for the prestige that accrues to what we consider scientific knowledge, which is really the only reliable knowledge that we actually have in terms of, if you look in terms of uh, technology, you know, engineering, building bridges that don't collapse, building submarines like we used to do, tourist submarines that don't implode, uh, that kind of thing. The idea that, that we can undermine this kind of scientific inquiry and replace it with, well, with something else. You know, you ask a kind of a really tricky question that doesn't have a a blanket answer, I think, but I try to answer it as best I can.
0: I'm concerned about what you just referenced, Stan, in particular, the lowering of standards into the various schools, including medical schools. And they're talking about getting rid of testing because it's somehow discriminatory. Where does this leave us as a nation who are reliant upon people for providing services, a power, and so forth, if they're dropping all the standards?
1: Well I tell you, the, the dumbing down of the American university is one of the unsung or untold stories of of our time, though some people are calling calling the alarm. Flying under the banner of diversity, we have seen the lowering of standards. And rather than call them lowering of standards, we're calling them the adoption of other standards, embracing of difference, embracing of a host of of qualities or principles or anodyne-sounding or noble-sounding labels as being a kind of license to tear down what has been built up over such a long period of time. And I'm talking about the scientific basis of medicine, the scientific basis of engineering, the idea that we should inject other criteria as metrics whereby we should measure the people coming into a field. And then at the same time, dumbing down the material that is taught to those folks Diversity math, that kind of thing, or and I think the word that is being used currently is decolonization of the university, which is kind of a kind of a stupid because the Western style university is that was grown up, it was that was established and then has emerged in the last three hundred years. Is not a colonized university. It is a university that is indigenous, if you will, to the Western experience. And the people who are trying to decolonize the university are actually trying to colonize the university with a lot of um, crackpot ideas. Uh, crackpot ideas that the university managed to expunge you know, beginning 300 years ago, and now they're coming back as a kind of a neo medievalist view. The idea that alchemy should somehow be on par with chemistry. That's that's kind of an analogy that I give you. Astrology should be on par with astronomy, uh, simply a different way of knowing. That's one of their uh, uh, terms, ways of knowing. So yeah, the, the dumbing down of the university and the changing of the standards, the lowering of the standards is going to have deleterious real-world impact Uh, With regard to people, say, going to the doctor uh, with people driving over bridges that are unstable or unsound or even going into a tourist submarine that eventually implodes because the founder of the company that constructed it decided he he did not want 50-year-old white men working on the project. That's a fact. It is indeed going to have real-world consequences for all of us.
0: One of my greatest concerns is the subversion of the law schools. And there was recently an article exposing the University of Virginia and others for kind of a woke leftist agenda. But it seems to me that if you go through these schools, you're going to come out with this point of view. And then we see the results of that. People are not going to get justice and the whole system collapses. So it seems like there's a lot more riding on this even than physical safety or physical health that really society is at risk from these sorts of policies
1: yeah well, I, you know I'm not a lawyer. I can't speak to the law school. I do have a, a PhD in political science, which yes. is kind of akin to that, but nowhere near the priesthood that the lawyers are members of and uh, and if you ask them, I'm sure they'll probably kind of nod knowingly and and, and scratch their chins but i I do think that the discipline of law uh, and the understanding of of our system is a common law system and the idea that we we're not like the Europeans who are uh, basically view um Uh, basically view the law in a different way. We view law as precedent, as the building up of traditional wisdom of looking to how decisions were cast in the past to guide us for the future. And this has been a very good prescriptive way of doing business in terms of our our justice system for, for, for decades. And it can be, Transformed or it can be morphed in ways that are salutary for, I think, our individual rights. But there's no radical change, such as, say, oh, the French Revolution, whereby you destroy everything that has come before and you begin at year one, which is a dangerous way of looking at things, which is the European view. And I think that a lot of young people who are in law school today, are ill-trained in terms of American civics, in terms of the foundational principles, or they have learned— that the foundational principles uh, enunciated by Jefferson and a host of others are somehow unsound or illegitimate and they must be replaced. And then what they want to replace it with is 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 nothing new. It's uh, basically the fruits of what I call or what many scholars call the continental enlightenment, which was very different from the Anglo-Scottish Enlightenment that informed the American Revolution. It was the Continental Enlightenment of of Voltaire and Diderot and and a host of others that informed the Continental Enlightenment and led to the French Revolution, which is incredibly different, more barbaric than the American Revolution, which was inspired by thinkers such as Adam Smith and Edmund Burke and David Hume and those other Adam Ferguson, I'm sorry, uh, Anglo-Scottish Enlightenment figures. If you don't know the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution and what inspired it, well, then it's very difficult to have a, an understanding of the kinds of disagreements that we're having, we're having today. And I think that the law school folks that you're talking about really need to um, have a grounding in both the economic and the political aspects of what constitutes a free society.
0: Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues in just a moment with Stanley K. Ridgely. The book is Brutal Minds. Online at shillingshow.com.
1: Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography.
0: Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion
1: shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional
0: need a website for your business visit shillingshowmedia.com
1: need a video created or edited visit shillingshowmedia.com
0: have a photography or graphic design project visit shillingshowmedia.com
1: shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites audio and video production and photography
0: visit shillingshowmedia.com that's shillingshowmedia.com Shilling Show Unleashed. We continue here on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Stanley K. Ridgley is the author of Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. As we look at this, it almost appears to be a coordinated attack. And so I have to ask you, is there a group that is colluding or has colluded previously to subvert these universities into what they've become now?
1: Well, uh, you know, you nail you hit it on the head because there is a group. No, it's, it's not a... Uh, Conspiracy theory, which is kind of the uh, currency that we hear in the public discourse today, uh, everything that uh, someone says is happening. And well, oh, that's a conspiracy theory if you don't agree with it. And the fact is, I, I like to use the analogy of uh, taxation in the United States with uh, with, the, with the regard to conspiracy theory. If I were, if you knew nothing about the IRS, and I told you, Rob, you know what? You know, you're missing a lot of money from your paycheck every every month. Uh, the government is taking that. And you would say, well, that's that's absurd. That's that's a conspiracy theory that the government is taking that. And then you you were told you were shown the bureaucracy of the IRS and the transparency of the taxation system that we have in the United States and the fact that you know how much money is being taken out and you know who's taking it out. There's no conspiracy involved. Likewise, if I tell you that there's a group of people who is running a program of brainwashing in America's universities, and they're identifiable, and you know, we know how they train, where they're trained, what their doctrine is, you say, well, it's a conspiracy theory. Well, of course it's not, because we know who these people are. They're in the education schools. Education schools produce our teachers in K-12, through and they also produce... Graduates' degrees, I'm sorry, graduate students, but their graduate degrees, in student affairs and other bureaucratic uh, topics to fulfill jobs, for these people to fulfill jobs in the university, in the bureaucracy, and in student affairs. And who are these people and how do, what do they believe? A recent research by Samuel Abrams at Lawrence, uh, Sarah Lawrence College shows that 12 to 1, these people are leftist to right. Um, they are overwhelmingly uh, left-wing. And they are activists because this is what is being taught in America's education schools. So when they come back into the university and they begin to teach in what is called a co-curriculum, not the curriculum like faculty like myself, but co-curriculum, which is a fake curriculum with fake courses and fake professors, fake instructors, mm-hmm. they are propounding this crypto Maoist theory called um critical pedagogy that they learned in education schools. Now, you asked if there is a specific group. Yes, there is. It's an off-campus group called ACPA and another group called NASPA or NASPA. They are organizations, professional associations, organized to support student affairs bureaucrats on the college campuses. They are membership organizations, and I, I should tell you that I'm a member of both of them, so I could find out, you know, what they're all about. And I read their publications, and I have read the transcripts and watched some of their conferences online. They appear in in the book Brutal Minds as the uh, noxious organizations. They are. They are completely permeated with crypto Maoist ideology that is propounded in the education schools. And why is this important? Well. These two organizations I mentioned, ACPA and NASPA, set the standards for education schools nationwide. Because this is an important influence on higher education; otherwise, without that influence, they would have very limited, very limited impact. But they have this function whereby they issue the standards or set the standards. And I should say that if you go into most any education school website in a university, you will see that their programs, their graduate programs, are—they mention the ACPA and NASPA as being uh, their programs are in compliance with the best standards that are offered by these these two professional organizations, which I think are absolutely insidious. I think every university in America ought to cut ties with these organizations, primarily because of the uh, noxious ideology that is informing them. You know, you, people can still become members of it, but uh, I think it's, it's the equivalent of, of being an, a member of an extremist political party that advocates harm to its fellow human beings. To answer your question, yes, there are organizations that are trying to and striving to uh, subvert the American University and propound these types of these types of activities. Yes.
0: So I agree with you 100 percent that we'd love to see the ties cut and that these institutions would be diminished in their power. So is there any alternative uh, or could there be an alternative and have any colleges notable universities actually severed ties with these organizations or never established them?
1: I can't really speak to that issue because I, I think that there's very little hope at the present time, primarily because of how embedded they become. It's like it's a three cornered triangle, which I kind of repeat myself when I say three cornered triangle, but it's, a, it's an iron triangle of education schools, the student affairs bureaucracy in the university, and these outside nonprofit off campus organizations, and they feed into each other. If you're looking to a, to a theorist who's talked about this kind of thing, Louis Althusser, the the famous uh, traditional Marxist, talks about the reproduction of capitalism, how capitalism reproduces itself, certainly in the college campus. Well, this triangle of power, the circle of vice, reproduces itself and in, increases its influence with every iteration of people who graduate from education schools, who go into the bureaucracy, who then become members of this off campus organization, which then feeds again back into the education schools. I think you can, this is why universities are so difficult to reform because you can get the university to uh, grudgingly cancel a program, but the problem is that the people who instigate that program see that they've done no wrong. They don't accept the idea that they've done anything wrong, they simply have been caught out. Their motives are revealed, and they simply you know, retool, repackage, relabel, and strive again to implement the very same program. We've seen this enacted again and again and again, and this is why the reform is so difficult. So what we have to do, I think, Ron, you asked me a specific question, what can we do? Well, these ties and this organization, this bureaucratic machine, this apparat, has to be revealed for what it is. The ties uh, amongst them, the interlocking incestuous relationship we have here, must be revealed. I should say that education schools are the least respected institutions within higher education. They're the buck privates. They don't really garner the respect. But the problem we find is that they have managed. They, the many education schools, have managed to expand their influence, whereby they graduate people out of these. Programs, advanced degree programs, and put them right back into the university into jobs created especially for them. They do not see themselves as simply bureaucrats administering the university. They see themselves as transforming higher education. And one of the groups, the ACPA, their motto is boldly transforming higher education. That's their motto, and, we, and I, yeah, I have to tell you, I, I mentioned this to one of my colleagues um, in one of those hallway conversations, and he says, well, you know, that, that could mean anything, you know, boldly transform higher education. It could mean anything. I said, well, yeah, I'd agree with you except the fact that we know what they mean by transforming higher education. They want to transform higher education into that crucible of um, indoctrination that I described earlier. We know exactly what they mean by this and say, so, what do you think about that? And he said to me, oh, well, that's very interesting. That's, that's certainly very interesting. This is the kind of response that I, that I get with this sort of thing. There's a, like an unwillingness to accept or to face that there is this bureaucratic apparatus that is trying to transform the university into um, some sort of indoctrination center. And they're very clear about what it is they're trying to do. There's no doubt about it. I quote from them in my book, Brutal Minds, over and over again. I cite the sources, I name the names, I tell the schools, I show their victims of this type of program. Getting these folks to engage on this level is, is well near impossible. So that's the first task, Rob, to fixing the problem is to surface that problem and relentlessly cite the problem and out these people for the scoundrels that they really are.
0: You know, as you talk about the transformation, I'm thinking and hearing echoes from a fairly recent presidency who had the same sort of goal for the United States of America. Stan, I want to talk about uh, preparing students. And you say prepare these students to be assaulted verbally, psychologically, racially, et cetera, in many ways. So for parents who are considering sending their kids to a college or university, how do you actually prepare them to be assaulted? That's not a pretty task.
1: There are two ways to reform the university, and I talk about the long-term way, and that's not really of interest to folks who with kids in college right now and students who are in college right now. Uh, There's a long-term process whereby you can reform the university. But for right now, whenever these types of programs are uh, extant on the university campus, and they are, and I cite the folks who are running them and the types of programs. What's important is for students to understand their individual rights. They do not give up their rights simply by going to a university, whether it's a state university or a private university. We have rights under the 14th Amendment, under the First Amendment, under the Civil Rights Protections uh, from Civil Rights Act. We also have protections that are guaranteed to us under the Office of Human Research Protections. The idea that uh, we cannot be uh, manipulated psychologically in some sort of experiment which is the part and parcel of the what's called social justice education part of the um, issue is to recognize when this type of program is being is being run on us uh, we can defeat this students can defeat this by simply being aware of what's being done to them. I'm not mincing words. I'm not. I'm not sugarcoating it. I, I mean this: that, that that something is being done to them. It's it's called brainwashing. It's psychological manipulation, behavior modification, designed to change their belief system. You can find this in a set, you know any number of books. But I I give an example of teaching diversity and social justice. A book that has come out in four editions since 1997. The most recent edition, of course, is 2023. That advocates utilizing these brainwash techniques. The idea of deception, creating a you know creating trust amongst these students, getting them to reveal personal information, and then moving into a period, um, into a phase where they're going to change that belief system, get them to doubt their parents, get to turn them against their friends, their parents, and then seal that new belief system up by engaging them in activities that will reinforce it. This is commonly called doing the work. Whenever you hear that term, doing the work of anti-racism, you're dealing with, with a brainwash. So the way to counter that is to recognize your rights. Say, I don't have to put up with this. This is a required situation. I don't see an informed consent form, which is required anytime you do anything that involves psychological manipulation and that sort of thing. You have to get the consent of uh, the student or the staff or the faculty. Just recognize for, this for what it is and say, you know, uh, no, I'm not going to do this. Recognize when people are asking for your trust, asking you to reveal private information, asking for self-disclosure, just say no, because these people mean you no good and there's no requirement to do so. It's a very... Simple thing to defend yourself, but you have to understand when it's happening to you, and to recognize a threat situation. Brutal Minds gives you a whole list of tells, tells, markers, ideological signs that you are dealing with a threat situation, and what to do when you're faced with that threat situation. I think that a student, coupled with with parental uh, moral upbringing. A strong high school education can weather the storm quite well, but the secret to be well-armed. These people have been doing this for years, and they tweak their system all the time. If something fails or they get called out, they simply redouble their efforts under a different name or a different label. Individual students can protect themselves, parents can protect themselves, and parents can become highly involved with their, um, the academic institution. After all, they're writing of the checks, this exorbitant tuition these days. And so parents ought to question thoroughly, not, fac- not necessarily faculty, but the bureaucrats who aim to boldly transform higher education. Those are my thoughts.
0: Stan, finally, is there coming a day of reckoning for higher education, so-called, in America, where parents realize, hey, this is just not worth it. I don't want to a risk of sacrificing my child to this cult. And it's also not worth the money. And there's other ways my kid can get educated. Is that going to happen in mass?
1: Well, I think that it's happening to a large extent right now where parents are, you know, Voting with their feet, voting with their dollars, sending schools like Hillsdale and College of the Ozarks and Grove City and uh, you know, Franciscan Steubenville uh, schools that um, aren't necessary. Well, in the case of Hillsdale, a-, a really pristine school that really values the classical, traditional education. There's an awful lot of uh, things happening in the. Um, Uh, high school or secondary school, uh, their classical education school movement, uh, their classical Christian schools that are responding to this homeschooling movement that is absolutely fabulous. And I think that Moms for Liberty, which is a group that uh, my wife is uh, actually a vice chair of the Philadelphia Moms for Liberty, which is pushing back against these school boards at that level. I think that there is a kind of a renaissance, and I'm looking forward to a restoration or renaissance of American higher education as people begin to wake up and see what what is actually happening? That's part of the, that's like half the problem right there, that most people tend to cling to the view of the university as this somehow ivy-covered walls and genteel discourse amongst folks the best and the brightest. Well, that is, has been rapidly changing, certainly in the last three years, um, with the, the ascendance of left-wing ideology, activist left-wing ideology, I'm saying left-wing, I mean far left, that is seized control of the levers of power, I think that state legislatures are rightly questioning uh, what's going on on the university campus and saying, you know what, you've had your way too long. And what you've shown is a gross irresponsibility and you need oversight. And I do think uh, boards of trustees of universities need to exercise incredible oversight. when I say that, I mean talking about questioning and finding out what is actually happening on the university campuses before they put their name, uh, their imprimatur to any types of activities. Because right now, I think that boards of trustees, I call them in my book, I call them sleepy boards of trustees because they're really asleep at the wheel and don't know what's going on. I think they need to exert the control and the responsibility uh, that they have been entrusted with to ensure that our institutions of higher education are delivering the education that parents are paying for.
0: Stan Ridgely, if people would like to follow your work online or if they'd like to get a copy of your book, Brutal Minds, would you tell us how they can do that?
1: Well, sure. You can uh, get a copy of uh, my book at Amazon.com, It's Brutal Minds. You can also find it at Barnes & Noble highly recommend it. You can find, you can follow my work on brutalminds.com. I'll say it again, brutalminds.com is also a way to order the book there as well. But a lot of things that I keep up to date with um, up here on brutalminds.com that have happened since the book uh, was published very quite recently. But yeah, I, I think this is, a, this is a text. It is an instruction manual on how to survive uh, this type of indoctrination, brainwashing, thought reform in America's higher education institutions, it should be in the hands of every college student and every parent.
0: It certainly should, and you've done a fantastic job in exposing all of this. Stan Ridgely, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and your
0: audience. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time...